Hey everyone, good to be here. The lot has fallen to me. Actually, I volunteered for this. I don't know why I say the lot has fallen to me. The lot of... Why did I volunteer? Today, we're going to be speaking on the person of Hezekiah. So you can turn in your Bibles to First Hezekiah. <laughs> Hezekiah chapter 1. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah. So, boy, I must tell you that I was all over the place as far as what am I going to speak on this morning. Uh, last week, Larry preached about uh, Josiah, who is the great-grandson of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is his great-grandfather. And, boy, I was all kind of fired up, but in a different direction, because I'm convinced that uh, Josiah's mother had probably something to do with his good and godly temperament. And I was all ready to preach about mothers and the need for godly mothers and various sorts of motherly-related things. But I kept uh, reading more and more about Hezekiah, and I think his mother also probably had an influence. She's mentioned in Scripture, but in this case, I focused more on his life and other surrounding things. We're going to have a Quite an adventure this morning. I pray that it will be a blessing to you as it was a blessing to me to study these different materials. So Hezekiah, he was one of the kings in the divided kingdom. And so as we, as we think about these, these histories, now I don't know about you guys, I did not grow up going to Sunday school and so I've had to kind of do some supplementary learning to learn about the history of the nation of Israel And after King David and King Solomon, God said that he would split the kingdom up, and he did. And so the kingdom of Israel divided in two, and so the ten northern tribes split off into the northern kingdom of Israel, and the two southern tribes plus some (coughs) Levites split off into the southern kingdom of what they called Judah, which included Jerusalem. And so the northern kingdom without Jerusalem as a base for having a temple and for performing sacrifices, they deviated quite widely, and they really went off in a bad direction. So King David was a good king. We know that he was a man after God's own heart, although we also know that he had some, some real sin problems, didn't he? And it's good to remember these kinds of things, that even a man after God's own heart could be so caught up in sin that he could just totally lose sight of what God is doing. But yet he's called a man after God's own heart. That gives us hope for ourselves. And so as we look into the divided kingdom, we're going to find that things were bad. So I did for myself a tiny little survey here, a summary of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And I found that if I color-coded them, the red kings, or I guess more pink really, the red, the ones colored red are bad kings, kings who deviated dramatically from God's direction and failed to lead uh, Israel or Judah. The kings in green were the good kings. And you'll see that on the left-hand side, the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel had no good kings. The kings in yellow were 
sort of good kings. They had both bad and good qualities to them in that they, they allowed the worship of the true God to continue. But they also uh, permitted or in sometimes even uh, promoted the worship of heathen gods and pagan gods. And so they're both good and bad. And if you look down and scroll down through this list, you're going to see that it's mostly bad. It's really, really bad. For the northern kingdom, it was extremely, extremely bad. They had only one semi-good king. For the southern kingdom of Judah, they had four uh, good kings, of which one of them is Hezekiah. And then we see his grand, great-grandson Josiah there. And that's who we preached about last week. And today we're going to look at Hezekiah. So let's read about this, starting here in 2 Kings chapter 16. So we're going to be in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah. And if you go back to 2 Kings, we read, In the 17th year, Ahaz, son of Jotham, became king of Judah. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Instead, yeah, isn't this interesting? This is the Berean Study Bible translation. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and even sacrificed his son in the fire according to the abomination of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So this was a terrible, abominable practice that we can read about. In fact, if you are a student of archaeology, of which I am just a beginner, a neophyte, if you will, but uh, you can read about the, uh, the uh, Ugaritic tablets. It used to be called uh, the Rosh, Rosh Shamra tablets. And they detail the terrible, terrible practices of the Canaanites that the Lord God said, destroy these people. Don't let one of them survive. And the practices that they had, child sacrifice was wide, widespread. Terrible, terrible thing. We read about this in Jeremiah. For the people of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set up their abominations in a house that bears my name and so have defiled it. They have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Hinnom so they could burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I never commanded, nor did it even enter my mind. Just as an aside, does, does this sound like the voice of a, an impersonal force? Or does this sound like the voice of a, a person, a being, a sensitive God? whose heart is just ripped as he looks and, and witnesses what he's seeing here. We read in history that a tophet is an open-air sanctuary where child sacrifice would take place. It means literally roaster or place of burning. And so here's Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and he sends the throne in 740 B.C. And so we also read, this is very interesting, that in 745 B.C., Tiglath-Pileser ascended the throne of Assyria. And that ended the 24 years, what they call the stagnant period of Assyrian history, where the Assyrian kings failed to go out and successfully conquer the surrounding kingdoms. 
Now, we, of course, believe that that was a result of the preaching of Jonah the prophet. In 769 B.C., we read through secular history about how the Assyrian kings, the first time in 41 years, stopped attacking uh, and conquering their surrounding peoples. And so that was the, uh, that's just very interesting to me. Five years before Ahaz ascended the throne, Tiglath-Pileser comes in, and he begins again the Assyrian conquests. And, of course, he first comes against the northern kingdom of Israel. So I wanted to try to figure out kind of what happened when. So I was looking at this in 2 Kings 16 and in 2 Kings 18. We read that Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. And then in 2 Kings 18, turn a page over there, we read that Hezekiah became king, and he was 25 years old when he became king. So I kind of made a little chart here. And so I plotted the ages here and tried to graph the timeline of Ahaz and Hezekiah. And so here's Ahaz. He was born around 760 or so. And then he became king around 740. So he's 20 years old when Ahaz became king. And then he reigned for 16 years and died. And when he died, that's when his son Hezekiah was born. Hezekiah, we know, was 25 years old when he died. So if we kind of draw a little dotted line there and plot the age, what? It seems as if Ahaz was... Uh, uh, anyway, I just thought this, this was a head-scratcher to me. Wow. This might explain why Ahaz was so evil. So also another interesting fact is that Hezekiah was about nine when his dad became king. Now, we don't know how old he was with respect to his siblings, but he might well have witnessed his own father sacrifice his own brother in the fire. And in secular history, we read about that terrible, terrible practice. The priests would beat the drums. They had huge drums that they would beat so that you wouldn't to distract. Anyway, this is a terrible, terrible practice. And so this builds a picture in my mind of maybe why Hezekiah said to himself, I think I want to go a different direction. That was my thoughts. And now another thing, when you, when you discover uh, and research into the genealogy of the now, down at the bottom, we have Amon, who is Josiah's father. So Josiah is off the bottom of the screen there. And here we have Hezekiah on the left there. Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, and Jotham were good kings. Or at least they, they promoted the worship of the true God. They also allowed false pagan worship to persist. Ahaz was truly evil. Now, the interesting thing is that there is an ancient rabbinic tradition, thousands of years old, that states that Isaiah's father, Amos, was Amaziah's brother. And the rabbinic tradition goes on further to state that Isaiah's daughter, Hephzibah, was who Hezekiah married. Now, if that's true, we don't know if that's really true. I mean, it's outside the Bible. We know that the Bible is true and secular history and rabbinic tradition but uh, we do know that some of those rabbinic traditions seem to have been proven true and later corroborated by the Bible. And so, if so, this presents an intriguing 
idea as to why Hezekiah was such a good king. If your father-in-law is Isaiah the prophet, that might well have an impact. Does that make sense? And so I was thinking about this and thinking, that, you know, what, what kind of lessons can we learn from this kind of a thing? And I was thinking, the first lesson I would state is this. Christian, marry wisely and choose your counselors well. Hezekiah, if this ancient rabbinic tradition is true, married very wisely. Whether it's true or not, we do know he chose his counselors well. He and Isaiah had a great relationship. We'll see Isaiah come in later into the story. But isn't this amazing? That Just think about this. Who you marry is going to dramatically affect your life and your ministry. The counselors you surround yourself with is going to dramatically affect your life and your ministry. You know, parents, have your children involved in the church, right? So much more can be said, said, but we must move on. We must move on. Okay, so what did Hezekiah first do? What, What happened? He became king. Great, what happened? So we read about that, and we're going to go here to 2 Chronicles 29. In the first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah opened and repaired the doors of the house of the Lord. Then he brought in the priests and Levites and gathered them in the square on the east side. So we're going to skip around. We don't really have enough time, I don't think, to read the whole account, so I wasn't really prepared to. Um, but I would encourage you to read through these. This, these are very, very fascinating. Um, this just great stories. And Second uh, Chronicles has a slightly different take on it than Second uh, Kings. And of course, Isaiah the prophet also chronicles these events as well. And so, uh, as we continue here, verse 5, Listen to me, O Levites, he said. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove from the holy place every impurity. And so this is what they did. They went into King Hezekiah and reported, we have cleansed the entire house of the Lord. And we go on to read that when the offerings were completed, the king and all those present with him bowed down and worshipped. Then King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord in the words of David and of Asaph the seer, So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads and worshipped. This is a huge revival. Hezekiah, the first thing he does is he goes in there and the temple which his father had desecrated, he says, clean this place out, consecrate it. We are starting a new era. We're going to go back to the worship of the true God the way the true God deserves and requires isn't that awesome? Now, what he does is he goes on, and we read about that in uh, chapter 30 of Second Chronicles here. He proclaims this Passover, and they missed uh, the real opportunity, so he has a late Passover. And in fact, what he does is he sends couriers, not just throughout the southern kingdom of Judah, but also throughout the northern kingdom of Israel. And for the most part, unfortunately, they scorned the courier. You're going to celebrate a Passover? Ha, 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 we've moved on. We worship Molech now, right? And so for the most part, the northern kingdom uh, scorned uh, the people. 
But it does say in verse 11 here in chapter 30, uh, nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves. Isn't that interesting? Does it really require humbling yourself to come and worship the true God? Think about our society today. Does it require humbling yourself to come and worship the true God? You could go out there your favorite cause. Contrary to what was written, who Hezekiah here, but Hezekiah interceded for everyone who sets his heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even if he's not cleansed according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah. Look at that. They didn't obey all the rules. 